When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. How are you? Excellent. Bit happening this week. Bit happening around the, uh, in Queensland. Uh... A bit of whale news, Patrick, because uh, I'm not happy about this, and I'm not sure about yourself. No, have we have we got his identity yet? We're looking. We come talk- through as D, 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 How did you pronounce it? D J Jinogni or something? It was, it was, a, nick, it was a nickname. Yeah, Django. Jang- oh, it was Django. Djogni. That's how good I'm going. But I did watch the video, the clip twice at least, more times than you. Yes, and uh, apparently he's in a bit of trouble. Um, he's been slapped with a $1,300 fine from the Queensland Fisheries Department. Um, and a $26,000 fine. Well, that's not confirmed oh. yet. Um, there's been a GoFundMe page which has been set up that's, that's raised more than $7,000. Queensland Fisheries, though. Seriously. So what's happened? You, we'll you've taken too long to get out there to save the whale. It could have died. Well, to paint the picture, I like I said, I watched the interview. It went for five and a bit minutes of himself speaking to the journalist, and he went out for a dive. So there was manta rays which had been getting along uh, the Queensland coast, which are pretty cool to see, and he goes and dives with them. And this yep. guy, you could tell, I can tell when someone knows what they're talking about and doing because you live and breathe it my whole life, and you could tell that he had as well. And he went out to dive with these and get some awesome, the manta rays and get some awesome pictures. And on the way back in... He was just running on the shore and the shark nets, he noticed a juvenile whale which was stuck in a shark net. Which a shark in a net, they're a net, aren't they? Yep. They are. So he jumps in the water to or pulls up the tin, he has a good look, jumps in to try and help uh, save this whale and cuts it free. Cuts it free. But in the interview, it, the whale was quite deep. It was down six meters plus. So he said in the interview that when he first went down in he didn't know that people on the beach were watching. He had no idea by this stage. He was just coming back in from his trip. And he went, when he first went down, he had, kept having to rise because the adrenaline was run, rushing so much through his body, as you could imagine. It'd be just, pretty excited. Oh, it'd be awesome to see. I'm not as in the whale hurting itself, but to be able to have just to save this whale. Yep. And he had to swim down to the depths of six to eight metres, which you try and swim down six to eight metres, Pat. It's a long way down and stay down there to help free a whale, which I give him a lot of credit. And finally... He said he got himself into a position where he could control his breath a bit better, and he went down. and He said the whale, the, the pectoral fin was caught and a little bit was cut into its uh, skin, which he said he didn't really. He had a knife with him, but he didn't actually have to cut too much or if anything. And he freezed pull it, pull it off. Yeah, yeah, and he freed this whale. And when it swam, o- swam off, he gave it the old Patrick Dangerfield fist pump when you kick a goal. So he gave it a big fist pump, and everyone was clapping on the hill and. Uh, news reporters were there, obviously. Then on the way in, he passes the fisheries officers, which were on their way out 
to rescue potentially rescue this whale. Yeah. But he had no idea that was happening. So how I picture it is he's gone out to he's gone out to do a day's work like I do. Yep. What do I say day's work? Day on the water. Yep. He comes across a whale which is going to die in a shark net and he saved it. Yep. Your agree thoughts? Yep. Should, no, I, I absolutely agree. I, I, I think you've got to read the play sometimes and I'm not sure Queensland Fisheries have read the play here. Yeah, they haven't. And and like, I think they'd, they'd be concerned that other people would go out and do it. But you know what? If someone else sees a whale trapped, you're going to try and save it. Like well, I just think I, they, haven't, they haven't thought this through. Um, I'd do my best to save it, and I don't. I might not be able to do what he did because he sounds like he knows what he's doing. But I'd be trying my best. And like he said in the interview, Pat, he didn't think about the fine when he was jumping in to save the whale. Like he goes, I didn't even cross my mind. So there to save a whale. Uh, I think it's fantastic what he did. I'll chuck in a bit of money for his GoFundMe page just because I think uh, he doesn't deserve any fine that he gets because it's potential $26,000 potential. So, Queensland Government, you're getting the gaff this week. Surely uh, <laughs> sense will prevail. Now, last week, speaking of gas, last week you said uh, don't bother fishing for snapper. You made this very, very clear in our uh, social club segment. Yep. Uh, we had a few questions around snapper and you said don't go snapper fishing. I'm glad you gave that advice. That was great. You're, so, the, you're the resident expert on this show. Yep. And all of a sudden, right throughout this week, we've seen some great captures of Snapper. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Has it surprised you? Uh, it ha- what I said was, I personally wouldn't chase him as in the time to go catch him. You might get you him did one say day, that, not the yeah, next. You'd say they'd be very inconsistent. They won't That's be, what you said. Yeah, but I know two blokes that went out three days in a row and bagged three days in a row. So they were very consistent. From Frankston down to that area that I said, Mount Martha. Mount yep. Martha area was the area that I said I would be going to if you were going to look for him. Is where it fished well. It did fish well. And yep. what I mean by well, it wasn't your red hot. Like, it's not snapper season, but yep. there was more fish... I don't know if it was the more people actually chase them because they just want to get back to fishing. And yep. most people, when they come out of, we'll call it isolation during winter for fishing, because a lot of people pack their way up during winter, yep. and the first thing they get into is the snapper. Yep. So I don't know if it's just come out that all these people wanted to go fishing and they live on that side and they've gone snapper fishing and, and it's been more caught than usual. Yep. But in saying that, there were some fantastic catches. I know squid worked very, very well. Pillies as well worked really, really good too. But I think squid, from what I've spoken to people and what I've seen on social media, it was the dominant bait. Yep. Uh, I was shocked, to be honest with you, with the amount of fish caught. Uh, you, you, what happens is... Is that anything to do with just less pressure with the fishery because people haven't been allowed to fish, do you think, or not I'll, really? I'll give you the hint. I went fishing for whiting during the week, uh, or start of the week and over the weekend. I think this is going to be the simple reason. I've never, ever, ever in my life seen that many people. Now, I'm not saying right now, on, I'm not saying over uh, in May. I've never seen that many people on the water in May. I have not seen that many people on the water in my life. Yep. That's what I'm trying to How say. Many there? How yeah. many people might have been out fishing? I reckon it comes back to the numbers of people, a number numbers of anglers that were actually out on the weekend. There was so many people out, Pat. You should have seen St. Leonard's. I tell you what, if you didn't have, if you wanted to go fishing off a pier, all you would have had to have done is step from boat to boat to boat, and you could have been anywhere in the bay. Because could, could have it, walked to Sorrento. <laughs> it looked like a city. I'm not joking. Uh, I'll call it on the weekend, the Friday. I'm going to say. I didn't think there could be any more boats on the water. Saturday was a little bit better, but it was still very, very busy. But Sunday, in that pristine conditions that we had, Pat, it was... Oh, it's safe to say that it was uh, it was crazy on the water. And I know some lines... I was deliberately not going out early, so I missed the lines. I was going out at that 9, 10 o'clock sort of time. 
and uh, it was busy. It was chaos at the ramps in the yeah. morning. So, and I know Werribee boat ramp was full right up the bay, even up the coast. I know it was busy too. So Portland, which this disgusts me a little bit. Um, I know of. I know I got a, a water police friend. We won't name the name because he gave me a bit of intel. But the amount of fines given out by not not just not water police, but discussions through the police forces, the amount of people that were sleeping in their cars and trying to get accommodation in Portland. Yep, to was, go chase was, those. Just go chase the tuna, which we're yep. going to talk about. But it was uh, fine after fine. I know personally one guy that was sleep, and I said to him, "Geez, you were dumb." He goes, "What?" I said, "You went and slept." with your swags in the car, down at the ramp. I said, at the ramp. I said, you could have went down all back street, at least trying to hide. I said, you went to the ramp. Like, how smart are you? But there were so many people that did it, and I actually read uh, numerous... I'm on a couple of the Portland pages, and it got shared via the Portland fishing pages. Now, they haven't had a case of the virus down there at all. Yep. And they said, this disgusts me. People come in from out of town to our pristine town has made our isolation in the past eight weeks Practically not worth what yep, they've done. Worthless, yep. So, I f- they're coming down for fish though, and there's some serious fish down there. Oh, we, and we're going to talk about that right now because the tuna right through from Portland to Port uh, McDonald, Port Ferry, even Warnable, some beautiful fish being caught. I've seen a few of that 70, 80 kilo, which is a lot of those numbers, which is a bit abnormal. But there's some massive ones there, up to oh, we'll call it one fifty. There's some beautiful fish right through that whole uh, weight range, and. Uh, you head up to this is this is awesome as well. But you head up the other way. We'll go down off uh, Bermagui and north to Batemans Bay. The yellowfin tuna run, like the yellowfin tuna, one end of the uh, one half of the country, and then you've got the bluefin down the uh, bottom half of the country, which is pretty pretty cool. You could I know we're not travelling at the moment, but it's great to see the numbers of the yellowfin coming back because the bluefin have been so good for so long now. Like the barrel bluefin for anglers to go catch mm-hmm. and. Like, if you and I headed down, well, not you, cause, but you're bad luck, but most times we head down there, you've got a very good chance of catching a beautiful 100-kilo bluefin tuna. But now you can go up the East Coast, and hopefully this carries on for years to come when we are allowed to travel during the yellowfin bite, is you can go there and land on a stick bait, multiple 40-kilo fish, 80-kilo yellowfin tuna out of Batemans Bay or north of Bermagui. So I know I had a couple of people that I know fishing out of Bermagui, pushing up north a fair way, but they were launching there and it was accessible on the conditions because yellowfin the better the conditions the better it is for yourself to see them visually yep. but also to set your cube trails up as well as casting stick baits because you need to be very visual with them because they fly out of the water like no other like they fly like they're like like a marlin jumping torpedo, yeah, yeah just boom they're meters out of the water where the bluefin more crash and bash through the top and oh, don't, get, don't get me wrong I've seen some beautiful bluefin come out of the water but these big 60 kilo Yellowfin that have been getting posted over social media, the awesome photos that I've seen coming out of the water on their side is nothing better. If uh, if that wasn't enough, uh, swordfish off Lakes Entrance. It's uh, like it's like the whole of our seaboard at the moment <laughs> is totally lit up. It's because we're not allowed to travel. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are spot on, Pat. And uh, the swordfish, it's coming into the later side of it, so we missed the start of it. Uh, the sea, so-called season, season, which no one yep. really knows yet when the season is. It's a, it's a bit like tuna at the moment. Like it seems, it's just all year round. Well, the, the, I, I I'm lost for words with the, with the sorties because the amount of people that went down and had, I know there was a lot of boats. So you got to put that into perspective as well. A lot of boats did head down there. Um, I know if you had bites early 
and missed fish, and that's the thing with swordfish. It's a long way, big effort, and you've got a very good chance of getting bites, but losing fish just to the hookup rate. You're fishing 500 metres down. down. Right? Yeah, exactly. I can't even run that far. So you're fishing <laughs> 500 metres down, and uh, yeah, it's... It's great to see so many beautiful fish caught. I know a young fella's going for a record down there, uh, over 100 kilo swordfish. He landed himself, and then a few other. Matty Porter, I think he got a nice big one too, around that 140. So some beautiful swordfish being caught as well. So, and then we look inland, and, <laughs> and we and we hit Lake Macquarie during the week, uh, and there was a, a flathead that was. Um, What's well, a tagging program? Caught and tagged that was mm. uh, just under a meter long. Uh, Everything at the moment just seems to be going from strength to strength. Well, something that I found very interesting reading this article is, so the angler that has uh, tagged that flathead, Pat, Mark Williams, he's helping New South Wales fisheries track the movement, growth rate and distribution of the, all the big females uh, that are found in that lake, uh, Lake Macquarie. And um, yeah, he's literally released tiny fish in there right up to, like you said, nearly a metre long. And I, I did not know this, and it doesn't surprise me, but all your big... Females. Oh, sorry. All you big flathead are actually all females, Pat. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I didn't. And um, well, in this article here, it says only female flathead attain that sort of size, with the males growing to a maximum length of fifty centimeters. So, so we're saying you're better off letting go. And most flathead fishermen do. Like oh, they, they, they do. One hundred percent. They're not interested in keeping them. And I'm not sure of the New South Wales rules and regs because they change state to state. But I know there are certain rules on size fish you can keep and how many you can keep. So make sure you check your rules and regs if you are fishing at Lake Macquarie because there's some beautiful flathead up there to be caught. Western Australia feds are heading back in the water for winter. Yep. Um, which is obviously going to create some really good and exciting uh, fishing opportunities for West Australians. With the uh, border restrictions, it's safe to say there's going to be no one else that's going to be able to fish for in Redmond. So um, whether it be dolphin fish or other pelagics, it's going to be a really good time to head out and fish, especially towards the, the back end of November um, as the fads start to, to be redeployed, which would be great. And they're going to hold species like, I don't even know where, how to, where to start up in that coast. Yep. <laughs> Every species possible. So Dolphin fish is a main attraction for the fads out of uh, out of that area. So that whole western uh, Western Australia. So the dolphin fish, they anything we've spoke about anything, any structure, anything love, structure. Yeah, you can come across a massive, massive bit of uh, seaweed in the water, and there will be dolphin fish hanging off that, and they can hang off a log. And I know after the, fl- the bushfires that we had earlier in the year and the floods after it. After afterwards, it happened out of New South Wales, and the big logs that got pulled out to sea, Pat. There was Mahi Mahi holding on them, and people were sending the coordinates to where they last seen the log. So <laughs> it was going from log to like, and following the. And you obviously had to work out your current. But like a guy would say, "Oh, I've seen it here," and meter plus Mahi Mahi. It's worth going to look for a log if you're going to catch them. So beautiful fishing um, for for Mahi Mahi. Uh, the week ahead, what are you going to target? Well, the week I've just had was a bit harder with the weather, Pat, as you knew. Uh, late in the week... My roof nearly blew up. <laughs> yeah. Well, a few did in Geelong, so that's a bit scary. But I had uh, I was fortunate enough to get out on the whiting on the Friday, and we had that swell come up, which was beautiful for my sort of fishing uh, down the bottom end of the heads there. So some beautiful whiting. Uh, start of the week, we got some nice school sharks offshore when it was a little bit better, but the middle of the week, I couldn't get out. It was just too hard, and if I'm saying that... It was too hard. But over the weekend, today, you've got that southerly wind today, which is a bit strong for us. 
Yep. So basically, you want to fish a bit smarter, get that wind and tide together, and you're gonna the tides are coming back because of the new moon, and the rest of the week is starting to shape up to be around 10 to 15 knots, so you can always look for a tuna. I know there's a couple of offshore days going, so there's plenty of options at the moment, like I said, not just here, around the whole country. So make sure you stay tuned to your, lo- your, 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 your laws, and you can travel to go catch yourself a swordfish in a day, or even a bluefin tuna, and land some seriously good fish. Huge episode of Real Adventures coming your way this morning. Plenty more after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for the Social Club. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you send it into our Real Adventures Facebook, Instagram or Twitter pages uh, and join in the conversation. Redmond, first up is Harry. Red, what are your thoughts on a day trip to chase tuna out of Portland or swords out of lakes? Is it too big of a mission with the restrictions at the moment? Well, the restrictions are that you can travel. That's been very clear, but what you can't do is stay in your car. When it comes to chasing tuna for a day, where would you plan your trip, Redmond, in terms of obviously you can go to places that are closer, but you're going to have to travel further in your boat versus driving that extra distance and then you know fishing out of Portland or if you're chasing swords, fishing out of lakes. For myself, uh, travelling to Portland or sword fishing a little bit, too far as well for me like it's a solid six hours to get there so i've got minimum 12 hours non-stop driving in a car so that's out of the question for me uh but portland's only three and a half for me so it's nearly nearly doable but for me as in a safety side of things i just won't do it i'm not driving seven hours in a car to go catch a tuna i've not when i've got what's on offer close to home mm. so i could travel to apollo bay which is only an hour and a half from me i could catch some beautiful school sharks i know how many school sharks come out of there this week you and hearing any rumors around uh port Phillip bay heads and tuna yeah. around the, the areas so or spasmodic in a lot of people have gone out and searched and when i say a lot of people um a lot of people they've gone yep. out and looked for these fish and minimal success yep. but i spoke to a local who uh, I won't mention his name. He doesn't like to be spoken about too much, but he reckons he's been getting them each day. Yeah, okay. So, they're so there. they must be there. Uh, I have done a few trips offshore, keeping my eyes open and haven't seen the life that I was seeing prior to ISO. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if they're there, but it's still well worth a look, especially around a moon or coming off the back of the moon like we are now when the bait's going to be up, the fish will be on them. So... Yeah, definitely well worth having a look. But to answer the question, thoughts for me, out of reach for me. I've caught plenty of tuna and I know they're going to be there next year because fishery is doing such a good job with the sustainability of them right around the whole country and world. So I'm not in a f- massive fuss to get down there at the moment. Matthew, hey boys, I've got a, uh, I got whiting straight after isolation when the fishing opened up, but over the weekend I found it much harder. Any reasons and have you experienced this? Couldn't have, that's a... That's a good question because it did. And there's reasons why it got harder. So after ISO, we were coming in the just off the back of the back of the middle of the moon. The swell was cranking, so the swell was big, which was pushing some seriously dirty water through the heads. But also, back to what I said with the moon, the tides were working so hard. So we had tide and wind. A uh, tide and swell, sorry, which creates all creates dirty water. Over the weekend not only did we have some of the best conditions I've seen on Port Phillip Bay for three days straight, is the tides went to, to went to crap, so they basically disappeared, so no tidal flow. 
So you had pristine, crystal clear water as well as very small tidal influence and no swell as well offshore. So what happened was everything, when you first went out, everything was in your bag. So everything there was perfect for you. Where over the weekend, it only takes a matter of two days, Pat, people. This is what I'm trying to to explain to people. Fishing changes every single day. Someone will go, oh, do you fish the incoming tide or the outgoing tide of Queenscliff? There's no answer for that. There's nothing. You can't just say that because it doesn't work like that. One day you'll get them on the incoming if the swell's up. Then the next week you'll go and the swell's down, but you've got a massive outgoing tide. So you're going to get them on that outgoing tide. And that's how you predict the whiting. Over the weekend was very, very hard. I actually headed out on the Saturday with a mate called Daniel and we went on to the whiting. And I did eight drops for two fish. Then, so it worked hard. Then the... Very hard. That was from the start of the tide. And I said to Gibber, I'll keep working because I know that in the middle of the tide is going to be our only chance and we're going to get maybe an hour and a half to bag on these fish once that water gets to its fastest uh, fastest uh, period of the tide uh, and that's when we're going to get our fish. Sure enough, we anchored up uh, fishing off in between Swan Bay St. Leonard's there. There was about, I saw, I was a bit, I'm a bit cheeky, I saw four, there was eight boats in the line and usually when there's eight boats in a line, they're getting a few fish. Yep. So I anchored on my... I got a mark that I had near him. It was about 150 metres away, and I just kept watching them. They were getting them. I couldn't get them. So I seen them getting them. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll steal their fish. And these guys don't barely like me. This so is coming from you that I, uh, would then complain if someone parked near no, you. No, so I anchored in front of them. So they didn't even... They couldn't see me. As I teach you, never anchor down tide of someone, ever, because... You're actually not going to catch fish because the fish always swim up tide. Whiting come up tide yep. with their heads in the tide picking away. I anchored in front of these guys, Pat. This was the best thing I've ever done. I do this. I do this a lot. A trademark move. So they were catching them. So I anchored in front of them probably 30 meters, and I loaded my burly cage up and I smashed it. And when I say I smashed it, I smashed it. And I did this for about 10 minutes. So every couple of minutes, I just redid it. Then all of a sudden, Gibber goes, "Oh, I've got one." Then I've got one, and then. We kept getting a couple, and then they'd stop, and then then they'd get a few, and then I'd jay the burley. They'd come back up, and I said to Gibber, I guarantee you this time when I do this burley, these fish will come up behind us. They'll sit there, and they won't catch another fish, and I'll have the whole school behind us. And he's laughing. I had another mate, Seamus, sitting on the end of these guys, and he goes to me, uh, oh, then all of a sudden, we just fish after fish. So I called Seamus over, anchored next to me. He got a beautiful feed of fish, and he goes to me, I literally watched you steal their fish. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I did. Then they started yelling at each other. They're carrying on. I don't know. He's getting them. So then they're anchoring on me. And I said, more than welcome. Anchor wherever you want. Like, it doesn't worry me. And they're anchoring on top of me. And I just had them behind the boat because the burly was working so well. We're in the middle of the tide. And that's when we knew we were going to get fish. And I think if I had been at those other markers at that period of time, I would have got a few as well. But it's about getting your tides right. And that's the reason that you didn't have more success at the end of the over the weekend as you did when isolation first started but this week coming prime time we've got swell we've got wind and we've also got some beautiful tide coming so if you're after whiting get back out there if you've got a question for Aaron and I make sure you send it into our social club pages on Real Adventures Twitter, Instagram and Facebook now it's time for our dream boating destinations our dream boating destination for this morning Redmond is none other than Eagle Hawk Neck, now a wonderful place. There's uh, a few different fishing charter companies that operate out of Eagle Hawk Neck. Um, how did you find this place first? It's located in uh, in Tassie, it connects to the Tasman Peninsula uh, with the Forrester Peninsula. Um, where did you find it? 
on every fishing show that's ever been made because it's an ultimate destination to catch gigantic bluefin tuna and they've been catching them there for a long, long time. Have you seen the landscape in this place, Pat, out of Eagle Hill Neck? Yeah, it's a bit Jurassic Park-esque. It's, it, well, it is. And it's, sort of, it's sort of like when we stayed up top of uh, where we up in Cairns up that way, you've got those big, when you're fishing around some big structure yep. and it's a beautiful, beautiful place to not only fish, but some seriously good fishing as well. Big yellowfin, uh, big bluefin tuna, but I know that yellowfin tuna has come there. In 2007, they had currents come through with yellowfin tuna, striped trumpeter, Tassie trumpeter it's known as, a beautiful big Tassie trumpeter and you don't have to travel far so for the fishing side of it the problem with it is the area gets very very rough it can be very very rough at times it, uh, like you said before down bottom of Tasmania there it does cop a fair flogging at times but that's because there's Antarctica it's, uh, just, <laughs> just to the south it is so cold make sure you take gloves but a couple of places you can stay as well if you are looking to stay there you've got the Eagle Hort Neck Beach House you've got Stewart's Bay Lodge Eagle Hawk Pavilions, and some of these places are beautiful looking over the water as well. So it's a place that we do need to take the boat, not only for its fishing, but also just for the landscape there as well, Pat. If you're interested in visiting Eagle Hawk Neck, uh, there are fishing charters you can visit. We looked up uh, Dungara fishing charters, personalised fishing charters, and Pirate Bay fishing charters if you're interested in going there for a holiday and you're not interested in taking the boat. Eagle Hawk Neck, our dream boating destination. On Real Adventures, it's time to get all aboard for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for All Aboard. Thanks to the Dometic CIB 26 Cooler Bag. Keep food and drinks cool on your adventures. Our special guest this morning is our Real Adventures chef, Sammy Goodwin. Good morning, Sam. Morning, boys. I'm starting to get a little bit annoyed at the moment because I'm going to start charging you out for the show because Sam's my personal chef at home. You can't have him. (laughs) Sammy Goodwin, I do love it when he comes over. Since ISO started, he's come over for a visit a couple of times, Patrick, and he's cooked some awesome seafood meals. Let's make this clear, Sam, and I'm sure you'll agree with this. You're not actually doing it for Aaron. You're doing it for young Finn. Yeah, I'm doing it for Finn and Kari. I have to look after them. Aaron's all right. (sighs) Thanks. Now, Sam, um, we're talking nailing uh, budget seafood meals. Now, during the week, you cooked a meal for for Aaron that he was really keen to talk about. It's honest to God, it was he's cooked me some seriously fancy things, and this was the best meal I've had. And a few people agreed with me because we had a couple of friends over, which was nice to catch up. And this was, I'm calling it, Sammy's best seafood meal he's cooked me. Sam, what are the keys to seafood on a budget? Yeah, we did a... um a cracker the other night. That was actually, funnily enough, it was probably one of the easiest ones I've done because we kept it pretty quick and simple. So doing seafood on a budget and doing it easily is all about using quality ingredients and they don't have to cost a lot. So it is on a budget, but you're doing it quickly. So the other night, Aaron had some beautiful calamari that he caught fresh out in Port Phillip Bay and also had um, a handful of mussels that he got off his brother who works on the boats in Port Arlington. And I think mussels would have to be the best budget seafood going around. You can pick up our local ones for about 5 to $10 a kilo, depending on where you're buying them from. And you can feed a whole family of four with under a kilo, I'd say. So as far as budget goes, that is the best. What about if you don't have the access to fresh seafood, can you buy it frozen from supermarkets and still get a similar taste like what are the things that you need to add to it or is it simply fresh is best 
the flavour with frozen seafood is still really good. Don't get me wrong. It is pretty good. What you lose when you freeze it is more a textural element. So you'll find when you freeze your fish, um, it actually goes a bit softer and mushier than your fresh caught stuff, which to, for some fish or seafood can benefit it. Like calamari, you put that in the freezer and it takes away that little resistance and bite that some people don't like. So I actually prefer that when it's been frozen. But what I find you're, you're losing texture, you have to kind of make up for in other elements. So make a nice sauce, make a homemade tartare if you're getting like a, if you want a battered fish. So you can take some fresh herbs, a bit of mayonnaise, some pickles or some capers and mix that through and all of a sudden you've got this really punchy tartare sauce that can kind of counteract what you're losing from the frozen seafood. Now, take us through the meal that you cooked during the week, Sammy, just because it was, like you said, it was simple and it's easy to do at home. So people quite often have a lot of these ingredients at home already. So take us through what you did uh, from top to bottom, including the salad and whatever that fancy stuff you put over the top was too, because that was pretty tasty. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll put the salad aside for now. But talking about that seafood dish, it was really one that inspired from my travels through Italy. So when they do pasta over there and you hear it talked about so often, they keep it simple and we're talking like five, six ingredients that make it good quality um, and emphasise again that that doesn't have to be expensive. So the other night, if we wanted a tomato-based pasta and we had this prime seafood in the calamari and the mussels, I didn't go and buy the home brand tomato passata that cost a dollar. All I did was spend an extra couple of dollars and I got a premium tomato passata. It cost $3.50. Um, and because it's kind of like you, our seafood is some of the best in the world. People pay a premium for it overseas. So we've got this Rolls Royce product in our hand. I don't want to pair it with a cheap tomato that's then going to like counteract the taste and going to be a bit iffy. So you, you spend a couple of extra dollars and you get the um, premium tomatoes to go with it and it is so much better so what we did on the other night really simple Italian tomato base so sauteed off some onions for five to ten minutes get a little bit of white wine in there reduce that and then I went in the, with the tomato passata but if you like like a creamy seafood sauce get rid of the tomatoes and go in with cream at that stage too. And you just let that cook down until it's nice and sweet and well-balanced. And then in a separate pan, we just got the calamari started in there and fried off and then into the sauce. So I didn't really want to poach the calamari in the sauce, so we fried it and then put it in. And then we finished off with some freshly toasted breadcrumbs and herbs over the top, which just gives it that kind of salty herby punch you want to finish it off and when did the mussels get thrown in sammy so while we we're frying off the calamari in the other pan the mussels were also in another saucepan just getting steamed and then once they were cooked crack the shell open take the mussel out and straight into the pasta but you can leave them in the shell if you want if you want to be picking around your pasta sauce I slaved away and picked out all the mussels out of the shells. That was my job, Pat. So a Phil- yeah, I give him the dirty one. Prep, prep the calamari. I prep the calamari the out of the shell. So a full, a full meal, Sammy. Cost in terms of how many people it's fed. So we fed one, two, three, four. I reckon we fed. We, we could have got eight meals out of it. I think. Yeah, we did. Probably could have. And so- we're talking. Um, we won't. We won't count in the boat and fuel 
the fuel and bait cost for the calamari, but we would have had half a kilo of mussels in there, which would be $4. We would have had three fifty worth of tomatoes, a couple of dollars worth of wine, some spaghetti. Now, I reckon it would have cost maybe 12 to $15 to throw this together, max, and it fed eight people. So we're kind of talking in that dollar fifty to two dollars a serve. So basically, but what but what are you saying as well? Yeah, it was cheap, twelve, say fifteen bucks, but it wasn't like a fifteen dollar spaghetti bolognese that you make with mince because no, it, exactly it was literally right. prime. Like no. it, was, it was top of the. It was literally what like gourmet sort of stuff, Patrick. You don't have to do much when you get these premium products like our seafood or a good quality tomato. You're paying for like a well-balanced product when you're getting a good quality tomato. So you're not having to add sugar. You're not having to add herbs and salt, too much pepper. Like it is just premium. And when you pair that with our quality seafood, you don't have to do much. Beautiful work. If you want more information on that dish, Sammy Goodwin's Instagram page. He posted a photo and the recipe during the week. Sammy, thanks for joining us on Real Adventures this morning. Thank you, boys. Look forward to next time. That was all aboard for Dometic. Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. It is now time for Red's Review and today we're going to be talking all things on how to find fish. Now we are allowed to be back on the water. As Victorians, I'm going to try and help Victoria out right now of what we're going to do. What you're going to chase. As in fishing wise, how we're going to find fish again because I've had so many questions regarding Salt Guide. People saying, oh Red, you report like how are you going to find fish? And it comes back to everything that I've taught you over the years via the radio show, Salt Guide, and anything that I've been a part of. It's about fishing smart and doing things right. So, say we come off Monday, Pat, we're allowed to fish on the Tuesday. First of all, you're going to look at the weather to decide what you're going to fish for. You're not going to go out offshore chasing these tuna if it's blowing 20 knots from the south. And I know people are going to be eager to get out there, but if the swell's up this time of the year, we've got southwesterly winds, the swell does come up after Easter, we're going to have rough weather. You probably aren't going to do the tuna. So we're going to talk about whiting. First of all, with the whiting, if we've got swell, what does swell do? It creates dirty water. So You love the dirty, dirty water. Dirty water. Love dirty water. So look, using that dirty water, another crucial aspect to it is we've just had the full moon go past Thursday gone. So we've got some beautiful tides coming. So the whiting are going to be plentiful. There are going to be numbers there. So we're going to use this strong tide. We're going to use the wind, the southerly wind, to fish the incoming tide. Now, I've just made this up, as in the wind-wise. It's a bit yeah. far away at the minute. But... I don't like to give too much uh, too much away because Jane Bunn changes it a bit on me. But you want to fish the elements that you're going to get put into play. So say, for example, gummy sharks offshore. We're going to fish our tides offshore. We're going to make sure the swell is down because we don't want to be out there on anchor with our bait swinging around, tangling up in the reef. You don't want to be out there. The swell's down. We're going to fish the gummies offshore. If the swell is up and you want to catch a beautiful gummy shark, we've got some of the best tidal running channels in the country to catch some of the biggest gummy sharks possible so we're going to fish a place like the south channel simmons channel and also the west channel pin us if you want and we're going to use our tides once again and we're going to for a gummy shark inside the bay we're going to time it so we're fishing sunrise sunset just to make your captures you've been waiting all this time you want to catch a fish let's do things right we're going to have a tide change we're going to aim to have that tide change to get the start of the run or the end of a tide Remember, no flow, no go. How much do you? How long do you need to be out there before the change of that tide in so order to prepare? Do you the think? best way to explain it, what we're going to do is we're going to punch into Willy Weather right now. We're going to type in South Channel Pilot. South Channel Pilot comes up and it says slack water today. Uh, all for, sorry, let's take you back one step. We say darks. What, what darks at six thirty? Yep. Pitch dark six thirty. 
So I want a tide to be, I want the water to be moving at 6.30. So I want it to be going. So if I can get a tide, say, starting at 4 o'clock or even 3.30, I anchor up on that slack water. I've typed South Channel Pilot into Weather. It says the slack water is around that 3 to 4 o'clock. I'm anchoring on that slack water. And as the tide starts to run towards dark, that is our prime time. As that sun goes down and the tide's moving in that channel, we've got a very good chance of catching gummy sharks. Now, I said before, for the week coming, we're coming off the back of the full moon. That means big tides. So if you're chasing calamari around your Port Phillip Bay, even Western Port, it's time to time your tides to catching consistently your 10-limit bag of calamari. So what I mean by that is you're not going to go uh, towards St. Leonard's or Mud Island somewhere on a wee bed in the middle of a tide while these tides are huge because you're just going to be drifting too fast. Yes, you'll pick up a few squid, but if you want your bag limit, you're going to be fishing those whiting, like I said at the start of this piece, while that tide's running. As the tide starts to slow, so we'll go back to what I said before, that slack water's at 4.30. Once that tide, or 4 o'clock, once that tide stops running, we don't want to be fishing when it's slack for squid. We want it lead up to that tide. So we want the last hour of these really really big tides. We want the last hour and you should be able to catch 10 squid in an hour on those banks. So you don't want to be fishing the middle of the tide. Let's say, for example, next week on the squid when we've got the new moon coming, you don't want to be fishing that end of the tide on those smaller tides because what happens is as the tide, because we're on slower tides leading up to a moon, the tidal flow stops earlier. So it stops much earlier. So we want to be fishing more in the middle of the tide for our squid so we do have a nice drift. Not smack bang in the middle of it, but just after it as the tide starts to drop. I've done my whiting on the start of the tide as it's picked up, and then as it starts to drop off is when hopefully I've got my bag of whiting or whatever you need for a feed, and then head to the squid. So it's about really planning your trips if you want to catch fish. One more thing just outside, the tuna outside of the heads, is every chance they are still there. What you're going to do is you're going to head out there, you're going to have everything ready. I mean plastics, I mean stick baits, the bungee cast, your white plastics that I've spoken about, and what I will be doing... Because it did change, certainly for daily. you, um, yeah, day-to-day in terms of what they were going for. 100%. And how I worked it out, it was so simple. When I saw fish breaching out of the water, they took the stick baits more. When I seen the mutton birds working hard on the surface but didn't see a fish, those soft plastics worked better. So I had them always ready. So you can do two things, and I, will not, and I have not trawled nearly this whole season other than the first trip. You can go out there and trawl and cover ground, which is a very good way to find fish, but it can be a slow way. Or you can do what I'll probably do, and that'll work because you'll get the odd bycatch through, but what you can do is head out there and actually cover ground. And what I mean by that is sit at 14 knots on the plane with your nose up, with your two mates out of the side, or if you're depending on how many you're allowed to have on the on the boat. But you can look for life, and when you find life, then start working your plastics. And you'll yeah. have... Uh, if we can fish with a few people, you'll have different setups for different... Yeah, I'll have jigs ready. I'll have yep. plastics ready. Just so you see what's actually going to work. 100%. You need to... These these tuna outside the heads, and I'm sick of the rubbish talks from people, it's simple. Have your stick bait, your plastic, your knife jig, and if you want to, your trolling lure's ready to go. That is Red's Review. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. It's time for Red's tip, Redmond. Patrick, this week's tip is coming off the back, once again, of ISO. Give me a few tips, which is always handy. Well, people are heading back out That's fishing right. again, and as you're going to cover, they've had uh, they've had bait locked up for a while. Exactly, and I had numerous bags of pippies in the freezer. And, I and also, they're bloody expensive. Oh, 
13 bucks. Literally, it's, it's... Oh, it's ludicrous. I just... I, they must get them out of gold fields. But <laughs> <laughs> basically, I headed out uh, well, straight away, as quick as I could get out there on the Wednesday last week, and opened up the freezer and gone, geez, what have I got in here? I couldn't even remember what I had. So I went through the whole freezer and gave it a good look. And I got two freezers. So one's like crap stuff. And what I mean by crap, like you might be off cuts of whiting and things like that to go in the burly mincer. Yep. And then I've got my stand-up one, which has got my racks of squid, uh, a couple of bags of pippies, block of pilchards and so on. Salmon. My, yeah, my good stuff. Just yep. the, the stuff I'm going to use. Uh, now, I get lazy at times and I don't often cry back all my bait because it's bait, who cares, sort of thing. Yep. So I had calamari that, I'd, to be honest with you, I don't know when it was caught, but it was at least eight weeks old plus. Yep. Could have been twenty weeks old. Some of it, it was in the bag. <laughs> no, that's not exaggerated. It could have been. And I took the cryvac ones out, and I t- the next day, which was come out as good as it went in, and I took the bad one, the, the squid that I just thrown in the bags in the actual uh, freezer. It had freezer burn. It had pink starting to grow around the sides of it. So what I'm trying to say is, it does. If you're an angler that doesn't get out as often as I do and gets king afford to get lazy and throw your bag in because you're going to use it within a week, it is worth spending the time to cry back your bait because the quality that come out was 10 times better than what it was just being thrown in, Pat. So I had bags of pippies that had been in there probably that long that some of the shells had actually opened and gone brown. I've probably taken them out three times. That happens to me all it, the time. I caught white. Is that it? why? Because I haven't... Haven't sealed it properly. Well, the bag wasn't sealed. Yep. So I think I'm tipping that's why, because I'd opened it, I'd used it, yep. but the, it, they were brown. Then I had bags that were in there, that uh, pippies that were in there that were still frozen, and then I bought some fresh ones on the way down, and the fresh ones were even better than those ones. So storing your pippies, make sure you keep them flat, and you know what? Cryvac them. So take them out of their bags and actually cryvac them down if you're not fishing for a long period of time or say, if you're buying in bulk. Yeah, if you're not a regular fish. Yep. Yeah, I'm just trying to help the guys that don't fish all the time. So it's not the people that fish every day. It's the guys that might miss for five weeks because of work or uh, it's cold now and the kids have got footy or soccer or whatever they're playing when we can. So make sure you look after your, your bait because it will pay off. That was Red's tip. The flying gaff is a very simple one this week. Off the top of the show, we spoke about no, no, oh, not you. Okay. We spoke about our mate uh, Django freeing the uh, the baby whale that was trapped um, off the Queensland coast. Now he was slapped with a thirteen hundred dollar fine from the Queensland Fisheries Department. And sometimes, and I get the rules and regulations, but sometimes you've just got to read the play. This guy wasn't looking to harm the whale. All he was looking to do was to free it. An environmentalist, if you will. Rules are made to be broken at times, Patrick. Well, they're not made to be broken, (laughs) but sometimes you've just got to read the play. So the flying gaff this week heads to the Queensland Fisheries Department, and we love what fisheries do around the country, but read the play. Uh, Redmond, what are you chasing the rest of the afternoon, or the quiet one? I'm going to go home and see little Finn, and uh, it's an extra 20 whiting, so I've got him holding the rod now, so we'll see see if he's ready for a session, but I reckon the whiting... Uh, I might give today a miss and head out over the next couple of days because I uh, got up nice and early this morning, so I'll go do nothing for the afternoon. Yeah, this is normal. <laughs> that wraps up Real Adventures. We're going fishing. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.